Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. I hope you're doing well. I sure do miss all of you, and I wish so badly that we could be gathered together for worship in person. I'm not sure if I'll ever get used to being a televangelist, but I am glad that you're tuning in today, and I'm praying that God will meet us wherever we find ourselves. Uh, Today is the third Sunday of Advent. We've got 12 more days until Christmas, and this morning we're going to be focusing in on our Old Testament passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. So let me start by giving us a little bit of context. Way back in the story of God and his people, about 900 years before the time of Isaiah, God gave his people the law on Mount Sinai. And at the same time he gave them the law, he also gave them a calendar. And like the law, the calendar was designed to form his people into a certain kind of people, a holy people, a peculiar people, if you will, a people chosen by God to live closely with him and then to join him on his mission in the world. And so God gives his people a law and a calendar to order their lives by, like a set of rhythms to keep them in sync with the heart and mind of God. And so in that calendar, you had weekly Sabbaths, you had annual festivals, you had a sabbatical year every seven years, and then you had this thing called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee would happen every 50 years or seven times seven after every 49 years, basically once in a lifetime for the average Hebrew person. So in Leviticus 25, way back, God is giving his people this calendar and he says that in the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, a silver trumpet would sound, and then three things would happen. The first is that all debts would be canceled. The second is that all slaves would be released. And the third is that all property would be restored. And so the year of Jubilee is a big deal. And over the course of 50 years, a lot of life would happen, right? A lot of buying and selling, building and expanding, battles would be fought. And some people would come out at the end of those 50 years ahead, so to speak, while others would be left behind. There would be winners and losers. There would be people on top and people on the bottom. But every 50 years, Jubilee was like a giant reset button. And so if you owed somebody money, your debt would be canceled. If you were a slave, you would be emancipated. If you had been evicted from your family's land, you would get to go back home. So this was a big deal. And let's be honest, Jubilee is a pretty radical idea. Like this is the kind of idea that would truly affect every part of life. It's not like just every... 50 years, one year would be kind of different. The reality of Jubilee would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change the way that you thought about money and work and time and people and life in general. Everything would be different. So it's a radical idea. 
And who would come up with something like this? Well, it turns out God would. Jubilee was God's idea. It was one of the ways that he wanted his people to live radically different lives in the world. But it wasn't just for the sake of being different. Why would God give the year of Jubilee to his people? He gives it as an invitation to live on earth as citizens of his kingdom. And his kingdom is marked by the flourishing of all people. It's a kingdom of justice and equity where sins are forgiven and debts are canceled and everyone has everything they need. So my friends know that I'm not a big board game guy. I like some word games and party games, but any like three hour strategy game or anything involving wizards or Nazis really isn't my jam. So if you're ever having a game night and you think, hey, we should invite Pastor Pete, I would appreciate if you didn't. I guarantee everyone will have a better time if I'm not there. But there are some games that I do like. Games we play at home as a family. We play code names and exploding kittens, apples to apples, stuff like that. When Emma and Mo and Milo were little, we used to play a lot of card games like Old Maid and Go Fish and Uno. The thing about those kinds of card games is that you usually start by shuffling the deck and then dealing out the cards and then you play the game and after a while someone either wins or loses however the game works and then that round is over and then at that point everyone turns all their cards in you reshuffle the deck you deal the cards out and you play again now imagine if one night when my family's sitting down to play some cards i tell my kids okay I think we should all start off where we ended the game last time. So however many cards you still had or points you ended up with at the end of the game, last time we played, that's what you still have now. Now, chances are, if I'm the one who suggests something like this, it's probably because I'm in the lead and I wanna keep it that way. But if you're someone who ended the game last time with nothing to show for it, then you may not even get to play. And that's just how these kinds of games work. You don't start off where you ended last time. Everything is reset before a new game starts. All the cards are turned in, the deck is reshuffled, the cards are dealt out, and everyone gets to play. I think something like that is what God had in mind when he gave his people the gift of Jubilee back in Leviticus 25. But now it's the time of Isaiah, some 900 years later, and the Hebrew people at some point had stopped observing the practice of Jubilee. We don't know exactly when or where or why, but it most likely, I'm guessing, wasn't a decision made by those who owed money or made by those who were slaves or those who had been evicted from their land. It was most likely a decision made by those who were on top because things were going pretty well for them and Jubilee would kind of mess everything up. And so, and now, as we talked about last week, the whole nation of the Israelites have been exiled from their land and they're being held as prisoners of war in Babylon. And God raises up this series of prophets 
to call his people back to himself and to prepare them for what he's going to do. And what the prophets have been saying is that part of the reason that the judgment of God has come upon Israel is that they've stopped following his calendar, that they've stopped living according to Jubilee, and they've basically started living just like everyone else in the world. And so one of these prophets, Isaiah, begins to prophesy that one day this figure that he calls the servant, the servant of God would come and bring restoration of Jubilee. So listen again to Isaiah the prophet's words in chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, is another way of saying the year of Jubilee. So 900 years after the giving of the law, Isaiah prophesies that one was coming this spirit-filled servant of the Lord who would cancel all the debts, who would free all the slaves and return all the land. Now, all of the sudden, the Israelites, who had abandoned the practice of Jubilee long ago, they now find themselves as the very one who needed the ones who needed the most. They were slaves. They were exiled from their land. And God, through Isaiah, is saying, hang tight. You may have forgotten about me, but I haven't forgotten about you. I'm going to send my servant. He's going to set you free. He's going to bring you home. He's going to reshuffle the deck and make everything right again. And this, of course, is the hope we celebrate during Advent. Because when we fast forward from this point in the story, 600 years after the time of Isaiah, Jesus shows up. He gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness, he comes back and in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Luke's gospel, he launches his public ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. So we'll read in Luke chapter four, we're told this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so the scripture reading that day, if you will, is from Isaiah 61. And Jesus comes up and he opens it and he reads this passage. And then as the rabbi, he would be expected to give some teaching on it, to share his interpretation of this scripture. 
And that's what he does. So let's keep reading. This is where it gets really interesting in verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is Jesus' first sermon in Luke's gospel. This one sentence, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he drops the mic. That's it. Like, that's all we're told. These Jewish people had heard this passage from Isaiah read and interpreted thousands of times throughout their lives. And it was always interpreted as one day God's servant king would come to restore justice and jubilee. But that's not the interpretation Jesus gives. What Jesus says is that that day is today. That this prophecy has now been fulfilled. In fact, in this very moment, it is being fulfilled. Jesus is saying that he is the servant of the Lord that Isaiah had promised, the one that had come to restore Jubilee, that he himself is the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy, that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, remember, all of Jesus' ministry is the announcement and the enactment of God's kingdom on earth. Jesus is restoring things to the way they're supposed to be. And all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets foretold a coming kingdom of justice and peace and mercy, a, king where, a kingdom where sins are forgiven and transgressions are pardoned, a kingdom where violence is abolished and peace prevails. It would be a kingdom of justice where the strong no longer exploit the weak, a kingdom of flourishing where the poor will suffer no more, a kingdom of wholeness and healing where humanity Humanity will flourish in a kingdom of new creation where death is finally overcome by resurrection. That's what the prophets said it would be. A kingdom where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covered the earth. Where the deck is reshuffled and life begins again. This was the promise of the Old Testament. But then after Jesus has come and he's announced the year of the Lord's favor... The Apostle Paul and others would look back on those ancient Hebrew prophecies and they realized they were all pointing to Jesus the whole time. I love how Paul explains this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I love that. There's these two words that Paul proclaims to describe life in the kingdom of God under the lordship of Christ. Those two words are yes and amen. Yes and amen. All God's promises to his people, they are yes in Christ. Jesus is the yes fulfillment of every single one of God's promises. Through his life, death, resurrection, giving of his spirit, and his ascension, he is God's yes to his people. When we look at Jesus, 
we get the answer to our deepest questions for God. Does God still love us? Yes. Will God remember us? Yes. Will God save us from our sin and bondage? Yes. Jesus is the yes to the Father's promise of the Jubilee Kingdom. And so here's the idea. Jubilee is no longer a year. It's now a person. It's not something that happens once every 50 years. It's now here, with us, among us, all around us. Everywhere Jesus went, it was Jubilee. Think about most of his miracles. What's he doing? He's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He's reshuffling the deck. The sick are healed. The blind were made to see. The dead were raised. A new game was starting. When I was a kid, one of my favorite books was called The Chocolate Touch. And it was about this kid named John who loved chocolate so much that he wished that everything could be made out of chocolate. And one day his dream comes true and literally everything he touches turns into chocolate. I, I didn't realize as a kid that it was actually just a retelling of the Midas story where everything he touched turned to gold. Jesus has the Jubilee touch. Everything he touches is turned right side up. Where there's sin, he brings forgiveness. Where there's sickness, he brings healing. Where there's injustice, he brings righteousness and peace. Jesus is the yes to all of God's promises, including this promise of Jubilee. Which again, if we're honest, is still a pretty radical idea, isn't it? Like, how does that actually work? Well, the truth is, if I can be this honest with you, I'm not totally sure. But I think the second word that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 1 is really all we need to know. Again, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When Jesus says yes, we say amen. The Father makes the promise, the Son fulfills the promise, and by the Spirit, the church comes together in one voice, and we say amen. Now, amen is a big word in the Bible. In fact, it's the last word in the Bible. The first time we see the word amen in the Bible is way back in Genesis 15. And it's the story of Abraham and his wife, and God had promised that he was going to make Abraham the father of a great nation. And years had passed, and this promise hadn't yet come to, to be. And one night, God comes to Abraham in his old age and says, Come out here. Come out of your tent. I want to show you something. And God says, Abraham, look up at the sky. And Abraham looks up at a sky full of stars. And God says to him, You're going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And we're told that Abraham believed God, and God said, that's right. But the word that's actually used in Genesis 15, when it says Abraham believed God, is that Abraham 
amend God. He didn't argue as illogical and crazy as what God had said sounded. Abraham said, amen. He didn't question. He didn't try to explain it or argue with it. He simply said, amen. And that's the invitation that Jesus is the yes to all of the Father's promises. And the church, even when we have questions, our first word to Jesus' yes is to say amen. So it's by faith in Jesus that we say amen to the promise of Jubilee. And we are both the recipients of Jubilee and participants in it. We receive Jubilee and we give it. Have you received mercy from Jesus? Has he forgiven any of your debts? Has he brought healing into your life? Then say amen by taking what you've been given and giving it away. So when you have an opportunity to get even, to settle the score, to pay somebody back for what they've done to you, you remember, wait, it's the year of Jubilee. When you could be greedy or self-interested or afraid that others are gonna take what belongs to you, you remember, oh yeah, it's the year of Jubilee. When we say, I'm gonna, that person's gonna get what they deserve, a Christian says, I don't know what that means. In the name of Jesus, we offer pardon and peace and generosity. So there's only one day of Jubilee, and that day is today. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, it is good news for the poor, healing for the broken, freedom for the captives, release for the prisoners. Antioch, I've got good news for you today. Jesus doesn't come into the world and say, repent for a new personal piety is at hand, or repent for a new religion is at hand, or repent for a new spirituality is at hand. What he says is repent for a new kingdom is at hand. A new game has begun. A new world is underway. So if the Jesus you're following is only interested in individual salvation and not the restoration of all things, then you're following an imaginary Jesus. That Jesus never existed. Because the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, came to rule and reign as king and to redeem and to restore all that has been broken by sin. Yeah, individual souls, but also families and neighborhoods and communities and economic systems and social structures and ecosystems. All things. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Today is the day of Jubilee. Will you join me as we close in praying this prayer of confession? Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, 
and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen.